Hi, everybody. Welcome back to our live stream from oh. uh, Deep Dives. My name is Johannes Verweinen. I'm a uh, full-time instructor on, on all of the hyperscalers. And I've got a pretty uh, convincing background as a developer, analytics, big data, machine learning, just name it. And with me, I have my friend, Mikko Nielinen, or at least on off friend. <laughs> that as well. And you've I'm got currently similar background. On. I, I have a similar background as, as, as Johannes. My name is Mikko Nieminen, and uh, I would describe my background as a software developer slash architect for right. the past 25 Perfect. years or so. And, and a full-time instructor nowadays. Yeah, exactly. We're both instructors, so um, if you take any courses, you might see us there. Um, and today's topic is databases. So, so the title is like uh, databases, databases. And um, what I wanted to talk about is, um, again, how things have changed. Kind of um, what <coughs> is different from a software developer point of view um what what has changed during the past 30 years of databases only and, the 30 um, years yeah we, we can go a little bit further back we can go a little bit um, further back yeah as well but but the, the interesting part has happened <laughs> during the past uh, 30 or, or 20 ish from our point um, of view yes yes yeah so so um first of all for for those of you who don't know, what is a database? What what is a database? It's a, it's a it, it's it's collection of structured data. This is in uh, the the Wikipedia page that we're viewing right here. Um, and what we mean by structured data is that it, that that there are um, often what we would call columns and rows of data. So you can think of like an Excel sheet. However. Um, these the, the the actual cells in the Excel sheet are well defined, so so the Excel sheet itself um, might be a a uh, kind of a, not not a strict database as as what we're actually meaning here with, for example, a relational um, database. And um, so so databases kind of started off uh, back in the the fifties and sixties um, as IT um, in general. Uh, and, and kind of the idea here was that that we had data, like records of data, uh, and we wanted to have an efficient way of saving that data. Uh, and then, of course, also efficient ways to, to query that database to find certain results. And as an example, we could use something like a, a staff database, right? So it's so a database where we have um, the, the people who work for the company uh, maybe their salary information or absence uh, information, that kind of stuff. And then that database could be used by the uh, payroll um, department to, to you know, calculate our, our salaries or uh, how many holidays we have per year or, or uh, whatever. And one kind of interesting thing that happened uh, with databases fairly early on uh, was this idea of a relational database. Um, do you want to uh, give us a quick intro into your understanding of relational database compared to, to other databases? Uh, well, my background is with relational databases. Like my former, uh, not former, formal education in the university and before that was we dealt only with relational databases we actually went quite deep into the to the details of how how they work and also from my work life everything was done using relational databases and in that sense it, it kind of blurs the the background or the history of where we come from the the other other solutions, different kinds of databases before relational databases and and the file-based storage, which was yeah, exactly. I, I remember one of my colleagues talking to me. He had a long long beard, 
talking to me about how those were really efficient and I was not convinced and then he proved me wrong of course but 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 that that's like the background I'm I'm very 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 biased towards relational databases and now, yeah. now now if you ask for a formal description what a relational database is then I don't even have one I've been using yeah, that- for so long time that it's it's kind of natural. I know how to use them. I know how they work in not only in theory, but on, well, that's for the other way around. Not only in practice, but a little bit of the theory as well. And I know in practice how to make them fast in the most like most common use cases. Of course, there are situations where you need some some experts there to really fine tune something. Yeah, but this is that, of course that actually my like understanding of of the relational databases. I, because I, of course, I forgot what we were taught in the university. <laughs> I I don't have a, a proper description of yeah. what they are. I, I just know that we have tables and we have a way of accessing the tables and the data in the tables, and there are relationships between the items in different tables, and the database engine enforces those relationships makes it sh- sure that the data is what it should be for example that there are yeah. no well that that kind of well, from practical that, point of view that's what i, I that, that's exactly it that's exactly it and, and i think a lot of people a lot of uh, people with a developer background share your view that relational databases are databases right that's kind of especially if we've been around for for tens of years that's the majority of your, your your persistence data is going to be relational databases, just the way it works. And this, uh, that's, one, that's why I wanted more. to talk about it. One thing more. My my older colleagues who were even older than I am, they they were thinking about the like the internal structure of the database and the internal the, the physical machine as well, how many disk surfaces there were when they were making a new database how what kind of hardware they had in the background and i kind of jumped into into the databases that late that i didn't have to bother i i didn't have to worry about those things exactly. people, people before me they they really went into the details yeah and so in that sense i'm i'm already one of those developers who have been using databases as kind of just a service but not yep. Completely, because I started, of course, on the on-prem side. Yeah, so so I just kind of uh, to interject a little bit. I remember creating non-relational databases myself um, for for storing kind of all kinds of data. This kind of existed in the the late eighties and early nineties. You had these, you know, customer uh, databases or, or product databases. Um, uh, even Mac had had this. Cool Did you talk about records or what? What was the yeah. unit? It, it basically you would create a, a data structure, and then just you know have a, a a way of writing that onto disk, and then you would read read it <laughs> when you would want to, right? Uh, and Mac even had this cool program called HyperCard, that was this kind of a general card based uh, database, but definitely not relational. So, so what is actually a relational database? So, first of all, we we can thank one person, <laughs> uh, or, or mostly thank one person for introducing us to a relational model for for database management, and that's uh, Edgar Kai. And uh, this same person, we can also thank for uh, the normalization of of data, right? So, so he he actually got a Turing Award for this work. Uh, the Turing Award is basically the Nobel of uh, computer science. Um, and, and he did all of this in, in, in the 60s. And basically, uh, a, a lot of publications, a lot of interesting stuff. The, the thing that most people know about is the uh, normalization uh, theory. So, so we say, we very often say that um, we want our data to be um, uh, third, what is it called? BNF. Uh, third normal in third normal form, right? Uh, and third normal form 
officially is like second memorable form plus something uh, removed. In, in general, in two minutes, what does normal form mean? Well, it means that, that if we have any kind of, of duplicate data, then instead of writing that in duplicate, we would <clears throat> refer to it from a different table, right? So if we have like a, a book um, table where we would have authors, right? Then in general, we could think that um, an author could have actually written multiple books, right? So then this column here about the author of books shouldn't actually be a column uh, because we might re repeat the same value over and over again. So instead of having the author here, what we will actually do is we would have authors in their own table and then just refer to that author using an ID. And, and this, the, the motivation for this originally was actually about space, because back in the 60s, storage space was really, 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 really expensive. <laughs> it was really, a uh, hard drive would be the size of a living room, right? So, so it's like really difficult to store anything. So, so instead of using, you know, who knows how many bytes to, to store an author name, we could just use an 8-bit integer to, to refer to that author, hoping, of course, that we don't have more than 255 of them, <laughs> but, but, but still. Same thing for like stuff like format, right? Instead of having hardcover ebook paperback in here, we just have IDs, zero, one, two. Um, and then we have a separate table where we then define what that ID actually uh, consists of. And then of course, some of the, the data still needs to be um, in the original format. So sometimes like a price that, that varies per record, right? So probably should be there in numerical format instead of um, a, a reference. So third normal form is, is kind of normally the, um, the target state of a relational database. We, we, I, I don't go into details. Uh, third normal if I may form. add here, uh, this is so, like, if, if the database is written in any other way, for me, it looks wrong, incorrect. Yeah. That's so like hammered into my DNA that this is the way databases should be like used. Yeah. Because basically that's that's how you did it. Not anymore yeah. though. And if you yeah. had some really like there are situations where you didn't do it that way. But if it's done in a different way, it's it looks incorrect to my eyes. Even now yeah, and, and, and there are some benefits from this. Yeah. So, so not only the, the storage size, but maybe the speed yeah. as well. Yeah, another benefit in here is that if, let's say, a publisher, if a publisher <clears> changes <throat> their name from, from A Press to something else, then we only need to update that in one single place. Uh, however, that is also a bit of a problem. Like, like yes. what if we want... You lose the history. To, ...to refer to the name in a historical way? <laughs> Uh, and then if we change it, we change it everywhere, right? So, so but yeah, that, that's basically what a relational database is uh, or, or what a relational data model is. And the relational database uh, management system enforces these model, models, right? So, so we can actually define in the table that this particular column refers to an ID in a different table. And then the database management system can enforce that relationship. So, for example, it won't allow us to delete anything from the author table if we have uh, a reference to the author in, in, in the book table, right? So, so we're making sure that these links don't get uh, broken. And then, of course, if we want to get human-readable data out of the table, that means that we need to do lots of lots of joins to be able to fetch those individual pieces of information from different tables. And, and that's basically what a database management system is um, optimized to do nowadays, is to effectively do these uh, uh, giants of data for, for, for making it possible for us to query query the database. But yeah, so that, that's kind of 
the um, history. So we're kind of fast forwarding through the 60s and 70s and 80s that, yeah. to, to when the internet happened. Let's, let's, let's call it that, like that, that, that where we are. So then the problem we, started. Yeah. So, so how did software development work? Like in the late nineties, early two thousands, when you would have a project that would contain, you know, dynamic information that would need to be uh, retrieved from a database. Did we? Did, did you ever get asked? You know, what kind of database would you want for for your project? Uh, quite often, uh, the database was decided already for me. So maybe yeah. the organization, the, the the place where I worked, or the clients, they already had a database system. Let's say, let's use the, the classic the Oracle example. They had an Oracle database already. That's quite often, and then you were using that specific database or uh, IBM DB2 or something like that. Then you were using that, no questions, <laughs> and and it worked because everybody were doing their project like that. Everybody was used to that. You knew that. Okay, we don't know the exact database, but we are not using, hopefully, not using too much of the specific features of the database, but trying to generate more, like uh, all-purpose. For example, the queries you 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 would. Drop, you would try to make them all-purpose queries so that they're not that dependent on the database. And, but to be fair, we never changed any databases. So once you chose something or something was given to you that, okay, you're going to use this database X, then the whole project was stuck with that. It never, it never got changed. And even, but, but from, again, from the maintenance point of view, it's, kind of a good idea not to rely too much on the like super trickery of the database or something like that in the long run it's easier to maintain when you are doing straightforward if the workloads are such that you don't need to optimize like all all in, in the optimization department yeah that's my attitude yeah. towards nowadays towards anyway towards simple solution yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would kind of say that the uh, the database management system was was pre-defined um, um, based on 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 the customers. Uh, I, I would claim that it's it's it, it, there were kind of two reasons why we would use a specific database. The first one would be the customer's experience in operating that database management system. Yeah. So they would have like a DBA, a database administrator. Who would know how to run that database, right? So, so uh, maybe it was Oracle, maybe it was DB2, whatever it was, it was the one thing that they knew. So, introducing a new brand of database would be problematic for them because they wouldn't have the the know-how um, in house. And mm -hmm. back then, th there wasn't very often a convincing argument why one ne would need to <laughs> pick another database. And very often, we would actually just get um, uh, a new database inside an existing database management system, right? So, so in the same server, in the same database management system, there would be other databases logically isolated, and we would just kind of be added to that. Yep. It, Sounds familiar. Reason, <laughs> sorry? Sounds familiar. Yeah. That's, the that's the other reason, except for, for just know-how of operations, would be um, basically economics right so so there would be already this database management system which usually was fairly expensive from the licensing point of view so there was already money spent into a database management mm -hmm. system so then it kind of makes sense to put the project to use that instead of investing into more databases but then that of course becomes a vicious cycle because then the more projects you have Running on that database, the the quick the more quickly you need to add more capacity to it, and then but but then again then you you get to use the same database the, instead of trying to run three different database different database yeah. engines you are running one 
and you need yeah. only handful of experts, not just one, because if you lose that one person, you, you you're, you're in big trouble. But but just handful of people who are able to then run the whole show from from the yeah. management point of view. So so in my experience, our our kind of the the options that we saw back then were either that we would run on top of a enterprise database management system, something like Oracle or DB2 or something, or then we would deploy our software together with an open source database solution. Um, back then, probably mostly MySQL. When was um, MySQL introduced? When was it a, a, a real alternative? We, we have the internet, so let's ask it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm on it. Uh, uh, 1994, nineteen first version. Yeah, nineteen ninety five. Um, there, there is a fun trivia with regards to to MySQL. So, so um, as it is, at least partially Finnish. So, Morten uh, Mikkelstone, a Finnish. Um, how would you call it? A tech evangelist was uh, one of the. Uh, the founders of, of MySQL. But yeah, so, so th th this this was, uh, even though the, the company was Swedish, but we still take pride <laughs> over, <laughs> over the product as, as Finns. But yeah, so, so MySQL was kind of a, a, a lightweight um, relational database engine that had some non-standard SQL functionalities that made things easy like an auto-incrementing uh, uh, ID column, primary key column, that was kind of, for me, one of the, the <laughs> features ever. Um, but there's also plenty of other things, and, and that kind of made it fairly uh, fairly popular um, as, a, as an option for, for uh, deploying. And then because it was open source, uh, it was also practically free um, to, to deploy. So, so we used a lot of that. Um, since then, what, what is your opinion? What is, what is the, the number one database engine now? For, for me? Yeah. If, if I just have to choose something and it's a uh, relational database that we're building, I'll, I'll always choose MySQL. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah it, because, because it's, again, one of those things that I've been working with it for so long and it's I'm kind of stuck. It's like you you choose a product from from your grocery store. You you choose the same product that you've been using for a long time. So there's no like technical reason for me to choose that. But it feels uh, well. Let's put it this way: it's usually not a completely incorrect uh, choice if you choose MySQL. And most of the projects that I've been working with in the past like uh, in the early internet days, they we didn't have that much load with the databases. There, there weren't that many users. There weren't millions of users accessing the same program or system at the same time. And, and these very straightforward solutions were just completely fine because it was about business logic, not about the, the scalability. Most of the time, it was about the business logic. In the in those cases where I've been working with. That yeah. can be, of course, different for other people. But for me, it was mostly about the the, the challenge was the business logic, not the, the speed of the storage layer. Yeah, so so, so MySQL, uh, kind of the, it has a um, reputation of maybe not being so professional. And the reason for that is actually not MySQL itself. It's the storage engine, uh, MyISA was used um, like over 15 years ago. Uh, that's kind of where the bad rap comes from. So, so um, th there was a new storage system uh, uh, released in, in uh, 2010 uh, called InnoDB, which is uh, much better. And it actually allows MySQL to be working um, in a proper way. So, so kind of the, the old storage engine got into trouble, especially with those kind of situations that you've mentioned. If you have a lot of simultaneous users, then the table locking wouldn't 
wouldn't work correctly. And then there are some restrictions uh, with regards to transaction support uh, in that. Mm -hmm. and, and then uh, kind of back in the days when you needed to have a, a proper uh, uh, open source database, you would choose Postgres. Um, and the Postgres is uh, a totally different um, open source uh, engine. Let me just uh, open it up here. Um, and, and it was kind of the, the fully fledged open source database. It has all of those, those um, consistency uh, guarantees um, and so on. It, it's roughly similarly aged than MySQL. So, so it's uh, originally from 1996. But it was inherently more difficult to use. <laughs> it kind of it, it it was like strict with the SQL um, uh, commands in, in ways that MySQL didn't care about. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, when moving from MySQL to Postgres for the first time, I was scared. I was like, "What is this? Why does nothing work?" <laughs> I thought I was yeah. doing standard SQL, but then I I, I saw that I actually wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> that there were lots of shortcuts in MySQL that was um, that was used, and, and Postgres is actually really, really, really um, uh, um, popular nowadays, um, as it has actually been used for a lot of the data warehousing products as the front end. Um, so this includes uh, like AWS Redshift, right? With with Redshift, the the, the front end the basically the JDBC connection endpoint that you connect to and the query parser and, and so on, those are all coming from Postgres. Um, this is also true for other data warehouse uh, instances. For example, Greenplum uh, is a, a kind of medium-sized data warehouse, which also uses Postgres as the um, uh, the front end. So so it is, it is a kind of more serious if, you, if one can say so, way to do uh, relational databases. Um, and these two, MySQL and Postgres, are also the two open source database engines that are available in the cloud, right? So if you go to any of the cloud vendors and you want to get a database product up uh, in, as a kind of a platform as a service, I guess, um, then, uh, you would have these options and and possibly also MariaDB, which is a kind of a new incarnation of MySQL by, by, by the same people um, um, as well. So, so those are open source options. In addition to these, we have, of course, also the uh, commercial options like uh, Oracle, as, as has been mentioned, IBM DB2, um, Microsoft SQL Server, Maybe uh, something else still out there. <laughs> I guess that's pretty much ninety nine percent of of the market. Right? DB two was the first first database that I was using. Yeah, I was blessed yeah, yeah, with yeah. that. Yeah, I I, I don't yeah. have any any recollection of the the project even what it was, but I remember that DB two was the first one. So. We have relational databases. Um, we talked a little bit about the relational model and that it has some, some advantages. What other advantages do you think that relational databases have over some other databases that we might be talking about soon? Uh, well, well, if, if you consider the background, how, how well they are known, how widely they are used, then that's one benefit. You you have yeah, so SQL. Basically, that's what you mean, right? SQL. Yeah. yeah. Or or kind of generally knowing how to create the database. Yeah? How to? I, I mean, uh, like uh, not not writing SQL, but like the the idea of having a, a database, and, and yeah. that, so people okay. are comfortable with that. And so so that's one. I lost the train of thought here. So you have people who are familiar with them, and you were asking what 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 are the benefits, or what other benefits? Yeah. 
Well, they are general purpose databases. They can be used in many, many, many different kinds of situations. And they are not the optimum solution for every use case, but they, almost any of the, the, the following databases that we're going to cover can be implemented also as a relational database. Yeah. Which kind of makes it hard to adopt new ones because the old one kind of works until it doesn't yeah. anymore, until it's the performance, for example, is not there anymore. But they are, uh, th these uh, relational databases are good for, for that reason that they can be used for very different kinds of situations. Yeah, until I, would they point, I, I would kind of point out um, the uh, consistency uh, guarantees, so, so mm -hmm. acid uh, consistency. Um, so if, if your use case is such that you need to have acid consistency, then defaulting to a relational database might be a good idea, right? Mm. Because it comes built in. So, so you don't have to worry about it too much. Another and thing just would to, be... To, to, uh, so what, what, is that, what does it mean to have that acid, to have those properties? When you write something to the database, it's there. And whoever is reading from the database gets the same result. If if it's accepted by the database, the new data, then you can read it from there as well. So yeah, in my classes, I use a, just a little bit different language mm -hmm. for, for the definition. So what I say is that if you try to read from a database, then what you will read from the database will be consistent with any write to that database that has started before your read. So even if a write is coming into the database, then immediately after that write has been started to be processed, you try to read. Then the database will make sure that the write will go through first yep. before allowing the read to, to actually return anything. And this might be important if you're handling stuff like, I don't know, bank account balances. <laughs> Usually you, you want that to be <laughs> consistent. Uh, exactly. But also it makes it, in some cases, if your writes are really slow, then somebody has to wait or a yeah. lot of processes have to wait for, for that write to complete. So there are challenges with that in some cases. In some, yeah. in some cases, it doesn't matter. But that's a good thing. So we have as it consistency. Now, what's the bad thing that comes with as it consistency in, in relational databases? Well, are we talking about speed? Yeah, in a way. So, so we're, we're, when we have that. as it consistency, can we do that in a distributed way? It's really difficult or, or, or impossible. With yeah, you, so I have to be very careful with my words. Yeah. So I gave you two options and then you choose the one. Come again? Yeah, but, but like in general, relational databases are uh, designed in such a way that they're monolithic, right? So there is... When it comes to writing. Yeah, when it, specifically when it comes to writing. Uh, let's, let's, let's take reads away for a second because we want to have acid consistency. So just talk about the writes. So, so when we have acid consistency, that basically means that there needs to be one place only where we're doing writing, because that way we can guarantee that everybody else is waiting for that write to, to, to finish. Uh, in theory, we could do this in a distributed way. The problem is called distributed locking, but it's just so difficult and so slow and so unpredictable that we have relational databases where we want to have acid consistency almost always, um, we, we, we don't do it in a distributed way. We just have a single computer that in memory can uh, create these table locks or, or partial locks to ensure that nobody is reading from the database while we are uh, writing to it. And then thus ensuring consistency. And I'm, I'm um, simplifying a little bit here. So please, please. Okay, and when it comes sense. always at this point, somebody says that, that yeah, but read scaling. And, and the, if you have read replicas, in general, they are uh, replicated asynchronously. Yeah. 
in, which in allows you to read from the read replica while the write is happening. But there's no guarantee that the read replica has the, the latest information. And there are like multi. And there are multi uh, write endpoint systems that make make uh, multiple uh, nodes for writing it possible. But it's just it's it's not the the rule. It's the it's in general, yeah. In general, we what we, what I'm saying is true. <laughs> so, so what is the That's problem? I always start the discussion that in general, yeah, <laughs> it's, it goes like this because there are some some uh, not so common systems and, and some enterprise level solutions. But just to keep it simple, this is yeah. the way it works. This is the way it goes. Yeah. So, so what is the problem that we get into when we're having a, a monolithic database? Scaling, right? Scaling. So first of all, scaling and high availability themselves are problematic because you can't just move traffic over to a different database. Right? You, you need to, at some point, say that, okay, now our old database has done its last write, and then we move things over to a new, maybe bigger database instance, right? And that cannot be an immediate switchover. We need to make sure that all of the data that has been written to the original database is also replicated <laughs> in the new version. And, and, so there's always... you, and, and you do that scaling, but you don't want to do that like several times per day, for example. Yeah, there's always going to be some downtime. Could be Potential just problem there. a couple of minutes. Could be bearable, totally OK, but still. Um, and, and that's kind of one problem. And then the, the second problem is that if we are going internet scale, right? So, so, so instead of uh, talking about hundreds of thousands of customers, we start to talk about tens of millions of customers that are using our database. Trying to open a connection to the same database. Yeah. And no then we tend to get into trouble because even though we can you know, get bigger and bigger instances to run our databases, at some point, we are running on the biggest possible instance. And then what's next? What happens next? And that's kind of the, 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 the problem. Yeah, and, and there are, of course, and there has been solutions for this way back when the database, the hard on the hardware level, the, the hardware wasn't, well, it wasn't that capable as it now it's nowadays. So you did already do with relational databases. You did do sharding, for example, yeah. or partitioning, whatever you call that. That's yeah. uh, and those were when I was quite young at the time, and it was someone else who who said that. Okay, come on, we have to do it this way. There's just not enough capacity. For example, all the historical data yeah. is automatically not part of your queries. But if you do sharding, then if you need to do cross-shard joins, that's going to be problematic. So, so you, yeah, you kind of, and go ahead. Yeah, you, you kind of can't take the general use case where we want to join tables randomly <laughs> in a relational database, and then just say that we're going to fix things by sharding. It just doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but these these were the the situations where you had experts and they really understood the use cases and they know know that hey you're not going to use this old data anymore so yeah. you you needed that expertise to yeah. of course nowadays that's not a problem anymore you you well we should have that expertise anyway but but uh, you couldn't solve everything on the hardware level definitely not because exactly. the hardware just didn't or wasn't capable capable enough, and it's not now. It's the same thing nowadays. You you just the limits are just so much higher. But still, if you have tens of millions of customers accessing the same data at the same time, there are things that you can do. You can do caching and and you can do connection yeah. pooling and all kinds of things in the middle. But sooner or later, you will hit the limits of yeah. a relational database in general. Exactly. In general. So, so 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 what are we going to do? Right, so let's say we're Amazon.com, and um, we have lots of online customers, and we want to have a database with, for example, the uh, the contents of 
uh, shopping carts, right? So, so what do we do? Well, you said that we can do sharding, right? So or, or partitioning. So, so what that basically means is that we we split the data over multiple um, servers, and then we do that in a predictable way, so that when a query comes in, we kind of know which server to go to to find the data that we want to query. Again, I'm trying to simplify here. So, but if we do this, then we, we, we create basically a distributed system. And what we lose, again, generally here is we lose acid consistency, right? So, so we can choose to create a database that can scale by partitioning data if we, as a kind of a, a, a counter offering, give up <laughs> on the requirements of having acid consistency. Or, or maybe let's say that we're moving the handling of acid consistency somewhere else. That, that's probably the better way of, of uh, saying that. Um, so, so these kinds of databases are called NoSQL databases, right? So uh, what, 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 what? And before what is... we go even there, uh, the, the thing that you, you really have to do at this point is to really understand what are the requirements from your system? What are the use cases? And then yeah. really think before you choose your database, think about what are the, the, the potential uh, limitations and, and how many users you have and all that. Yeah, we're, we're going to go a little bit over time today. So, so this discussion is actually going to go a little bit deeper. But yeah, yeah. Uh, we will return back to exactly okay. that question in, in, a, in, a, in a short while. So, so what we have here is the Wikipedia page for NoSQL databases. What, what, what does NoSQL mean in your opinion? In my opinion? Yeah. Uh, and this is, again, from a guy who's, who has very strong background in the, in the SQL or, or relational databases, it's always, uh, do we really want to go there? <laughs> so that's the, the initial reaction was always like that in the past. So first of all, you, you can't make the, your queries the same way that you used to do. Mm -hmm. you, you cannot just afterwards choose that, hey, I want to query that and I want to query this. You have to do planning, more planning beforehand. Yeah. And then also, uh, the the data is stored in a different way. These are my initial uh, things that I like intuitively. This is what I, I I'm thinking. I'm maybe we are storing all the data. Maybe we have just one table, and 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 everything is. Uh, for example, for, for uh, an author, all the books are stored in in one record. If we just call it a record for for the time being. Everything is stored potentially in one record. So if you have a very popular uh, author, then you have lots of books, but you can access all the books from the same record, which is completely upside down what we had with, with relational databases. Exactly. So you don't have to do it that way, but it's one approach. And yeah. th this is why it's it has been very difficult for me to adopt to... To, to these new approaches because it's upside down and it takes time for old people like us to change. And that's actually something that, that we need to think about when we are trying to convince other people to at least look at these other databases. Yeah. Because I know for, for most people, they, the initial reaction is that, well, we, we don't do things that way, so we just skip this. I don't know yeah, how you I, I, I kind of agree um, that, that there should be a, a reason. Uh, we'll talk about polyglot yeah, persistence in a, in a second. But, but for now, let's just kind of go past that, that reasoning. But the, yeah, there needs mm -hmm. to be some kind of reason why you would choose in a NoSQL database. It very often is not kind of the, the first default option that you would um, go with. But there, there are very good use cases for NoSQL databases. And um, uh, there, there are different kinds. But, but what is in common with them is, is actually not that you can't use SQL with them. <laughs> Nowadays, there, there yeah, are yeah. 
SQL clients or SQL-like clients for NoSQL databases. Um, another um, name that, that somebody, some people use is that it's a non-relational database. And that's not true either. You can still do relations um, with NoSQL databases. But the engine is not enforcing them. Exactly. The engine is usually, it, it's, it's kind of a developer problem here. So, so um, in general, uh, kind of the, the most used um, type of a NoSQL database would be basically a, a key value store. That's that's a key value database. That's kind of what we're we're looking at. And, and for a developer who, who's totally new to this stuff, the easiest way for me to explain what a key value database is, is just think of it as being a, a, a hash table or a hash map, where, where you have some data um, that you can access based on a key. Um, and then, of course, this is not an in-memory data structure. Rather, it is persistent, but, but it's done by the, uh, the, the persistence is handled by the database engine. But, but the access pattern to the data is the same as it would be uh, with a hash table or a hash map. So your options are basically only to either know the key that you need to access the data or then list through all of the data or, or at least all of the keys, right? <clears throat> be able to- It might be a problem if you have petabytes of data. Yes, exactly. So then- <laughs> so That already should- something have, else. Yeah, that should already ring some alarm bells then. But now, actually, the design criteria for a key value database should be based on the, the access patterns to that database. So, so kind of if you don't know the key, then you can't get the data. So you need to, instead of creating a database structure based on the contents of the data or the structure of the data, you need to design the database based on how you want to access the data. Kind of things that you would do as an afterthought with relational databases. In a relational database, you kind of add indexes based on access patterns if needed. Whereas and in that a, also, in a, by the way, that that also depends on the how strict the development processes are. I've been, for example, working with uh, uh, let's say banking environment, and we were using like the the strictest waterfall method of, of creating software. And in those cases, you really designed the software and you, you, you knew most of the use cases beforehand before you actually started to do anything. Which but is what you would nowadays, need. Hmm? Which is what you would need for a key value database. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, so kind of one way of thinking about choosing between um, key value databases and relational databases is that with relational databases, you have that, that freedom of querying so that you kind of don't need to know all of the queries that are going to be used on the database beforehand. Rather, you can just type in some SQL uh, and then it will work. Whereas with a key value database, you, you kind of need to know how you're going to access the data and you can't, at least um, effectively, access the data in any free way afterwards, right? And it's, it might also be difficult to, to change the uh, architecture um, of, your, of your database uh, tables. So, so that's, that's kind of a, a high-level view of key-value databases. Um, there are other database types. Before you uh, go maybe... there, before you go there, uh, for, for us, it's... it's... You said that okay, there, there needs to be a reason to choose a NoSQL database, but for for younger younger people, I would say it could be a other way around that there needs to be a reason why you would choose a relational database. If they are more familiar with with NoSQL databases, then maybe that's like the go-to solution. Yeah, or it might change well, in the future. My my point here would be that those people would most likely use a document database. Of what they mean by a NoSQL database, not necessarily a key value one. So, a document database, um, I guess the, the, the most the best known option here is MongoDB. Um, and it's really handy for 
uh, specific use cases like like handling user data. Like if you have an online system um, and you want to have some kind of an object that has all of the information about your user, including like what they've done on your on your website, then just creating a document based on that is probably the easiest way to approach it. And then this might very often be the first uh, um, thing that people choose when, when choosing a NoSQL database, especially specifically for newer developers uh, that just need some storage yep. for their stuff. But it, instead of a relational database, a document-oriented database might be easier to uh, start. Um, and this changes and over, over time when, when we start to think about like storing information and not just we need a database. We, we, if yeah. we really just need to store data and not, yeah. not uh, we, we don't need the database. We need a, a, a way to store data. And yeah. Then... So uh, you remember um, early document databases, Lotus Notes? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> So document databases are by <laughs> no mean a new thing, right? It's just people actually used to even create online software using uh, Domino as the background, which is the database engine that Lotus Notes used. I remember integrating. Uh, we had a project where we had to integrate with Lotus Notes. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. kind of, it's nothing new. However, yeah. it's much more approachable nowadays. And document databases do all kinds of uh, nice things. Um, like they, they can do automatic indexing, for example. So, so of the content. You, yeah. So if you have a use case where you actually want to uh, query data based on a specific field in a document, uh, then you can just uh, ask the document database to create an index based on that to make it fast to, to, to access. You, you don't really need to know how things work in the background. Whereas with a key value database, it's it's a little bit more involved. It's <laughs> a little bit more difficult to, to add new use cases um, compared to document databases. But yeah, yep. so so this is probably most best best known for for new developers using uh, MongoDB, but just kind of to let everybody know that this is actually nothing totally new. And then we have more interesting databases like uh, uh, triple stores or graph databases. Again, um, a lot of like, like a document database can be implemented using a key value store. That's pretty simple to do. Similarly, a graph database can be implemented using uh, a triple store. Um, if you're using RDF. or a relational database, or but but then you're, you're talking about uh, really complicated SQL queries. Yeah, 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 definitely. But yeah. for and the, the challenge here is that because relational databases are such uh, all-purpose databases, you can create create graphs using that. Yeah, and that's completely okay until you have the the, the huge amount of data, and then yeah. you're lost. Then nothing exactly. is efficient anymore. So, so what is a graph database? Come again? What is a graph database? What is a graph? What is a graph? That's a good question. You could draw a few few lines there, just to show a connection of. Uh, let's say uh, let's let's use Facebook as an example. Oh, thank you for that. That's a very. <laughs> Simple graph, but let's use a fa Facebook as an example. You have friends, and your your friends have friends, and some of them are the same friends as you have, and that basically forms a graph of connection of different entities between, and and then there are some properties which belong to the entity themselves, and then the connection might have properties as well. For example, how when when did you meet? Uh, or, or what is the relationship between these two entities? Like they are friends, or they are married, or enemies, or whatever. And that's yeah. and like the a graph. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and this is, of course, um, like, like doing simple queries on a graph is trivial to implement using any kind of database. Like if we have, uh, let's talk about social network. If we want to list all of the friends of Mikko, it's, trivial. it's, it's not difficult to do. But, but what if you want to find out in the social graph how many um, steps away from Mikko is the first person who has a friend with the name of Jean. That's really difficult to, to, to implement as a query in SQL, right? So, so and that's kind of where the graph databases and specifically the programming frameworks for those graph databases can and, and, and then when you expand that a little bit, and not only is the query complex, the, the data volume is huge and the amount of queries that come in. What if instead of having hundreds of queries per second, you have millions of queries per second? Yeah, that, that's what it really... Again, you're lost, becomes... unless you have the correct database there. Yeah, so, so with the graph database, um, the idea is that, that kind of if your problem that you're trying to solve is graph-based, then you can use a graph database kind of taking away the tediousness of implementing it yourself um, using a SQL database or a key value database, right? So, so it's kind of easier to use somebody else's expertise <laughs> in, mm -hmm. in figuring out how a graph should be stored and then how we can access it. And they know the algorithms that they should be using when you're making certain kind of query and so on. Exactly. You could do yourself, but why yeah. would you do that? You're yeah, why going to spend a few years just exactly. optimizing so, that. so why do you use a relational database? You could just do it yourself. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right? But yeah, that's that's the idea with graph um, databases. And um, like I said, uh, kind of depending on the model, there, there are a couple of different models of how graphs can be created. Um, An RDF graph could just be, uh, again, in a, in a triple store um, database. And then we actually have triple store database as one of the examples of NoSQL databases uh, in here as well. And again, a triple store is, is really simple to implement using a relational database or a key value database. Uh, but then generating the higher level queries um, is, is what is really problematic here. So, so that should kind of give us the, the, the three main um, NoSQL database types. There are more, but it's starting to become less and less um, common and, and or interesting to, to go through the, the edge cases. So let's kind of stop here. And now let's go to the idea of uh, uh, polyglot persistence. This is a term that I like uh, a lot. So what does polyglot persistence really mean? Well, it means that instead of doing what we have been doing since the 90s, where we just would be given a relational database to, and told to store your data there, what if we could actually choose the persistence layer based on what our application needs, right? So instead of trying to work with the tools that exist in the organization, let's pick the best option for the application itself. Now, this would not be really interesting if we would be doing um, monolithic applications because in a monolithic application, you have a lot of different use cases that are using data in different ways. So it's fairly easy to go towards uh, a generic database engine, where, which is really what a relational database engine is, right? So, so easy to choose a relational database if you have all kinds of different use cases. But nowadays, um, one of the architecture models that we have available to us in the cloud is microservices. And then microservices, have very specific use cases. And there it starts to become interesting that you know, if your 
microservice is a product search engine, then does it really make sense to have that data in a relational database? Or could there be a different persistence layer that is specialized for that specific uh, use case? And then we start to get benefits from, from being able to use, or, or it could be you know, social media as well, right? You could have all of your user data in a relational database, but then only the connections between users would be in a graph database and making you know these kind of complex queries easier to 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 write and that's that's something that that really again with people people with a, a strong background regarding relational databases it's it's difficult to think that that you have other data stores than than just one and that's changing of course and for for people who have been in the field for less time, then they are of course faster to adopt to this. But the idea of of having these different data stores in inside the same application or the project, then it, it, it is it's a hard thing for for uh, for those who have been doing one way for their whole career. Yeah, and. Uh... This, this actually is only really possible thanks to the cloud. Um, I've been thinking about this for a while. Um, because in a traditional environment, we, we couldn't use polyglot persistence. And the, the reason for that is just because we don't have the in-house expertise. Like if I would go to a you know big enterprise and say that you know my software, I would really want to use a key value store for this. And then they're going to be like, well, we don't have any. Right? We've got our Oracle here, so use that. But with the cloud, we have a lot of these um, services available that require very little um, operational knowledge and kind of administrative workloads. So if we use these cloud-based kind of higher level services, then we don't really need to have that much expertise in how to run these different databases in-house anymore. So and then the it's other really thing that we thing. yeah and the other thing that we have in the cloud is that the unit sizes are much smaller. Like we can create a really 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 small instance that's going to run a database for just a single microservice. Whereas you know purchasing a physical server of that size would maybe not even be possible. It would be like your your on-prem environment. What is your on-prem environment again? Oh, oh, oh Raspberry Pi. Yeah, right. So <laughs> raspberry pi size. Yeah. Right? So so we, we, we could do that in the cloud. We could get really small instance and then run run our and, uh, and, and of course you have to find the balance there as well. Because yeah. if you have just thousands of microservices and every every one of them has well, let's just keep it hundreds of microservices and every one of them has a different kind of a database or data store, then and this is my favorite topic. How about the maintenance? How do you maintain that? So it becomes difficult, of course. You you have to find a balance there. If nothing yeah. else, then 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 choosing limiting the available options. That's my opinion. I, you 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 might think this a little bit differently, like that everybody should be able to choose whatever they want. But yeah, I I'm believe a, that I'm there a, I'm a DevOps limitation. I'm a DevOps idealist, right? So yeah. so yeah. So, so I'm in more case into the practicalities. Are, <laughs> you know, in case you are like uh, Netflix or Amazon or Microsoft, one of these big companies, then you should have this one team for each microservice um, structure in your organization. And then that team is responsible for whatever persistence layer they have chosen. And, and, and they will take care of it. Right, so so there is a, a it's distributed administration instead of of um, centralized, but but that's of course not necessarily an option in a lot of organizations that are differently structured. So so uh, and then you need to fi figure something else out. <laughs> Some balance but, but there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that kind we of we agree idea. on something, Johannes. Hmm? Yeah, <laughs> we agree. Yeah, on we something. actually agree on many things. We just. Um, approach it from different directions. Yeah. 
That's true. Um, all right. So, so that's um, a lot about databases. Um, Maybe you, we have another have... session regarding the the rest of the purpose-built databases that we have not covered here. We, we could have a separate session on analytics, and then because a lot of the things that you are mentioning have actually to do with analytics. Yep. Uh, instead of a kind of a transactional use case. So we could have another session on analytics, um, but probably not the next one, because we don't want to bore viewers who are not interested in databases at all. So um, let's figure out a topic for the next uh, session. Uh, it's going to be something else than analytics. It could actually be 2023 in review. That could be uh, an interesting kind of a very high level view of what happened this year. And then during the next stream, it's going to be last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it will be. Yeah, it's now 30th of December. Yeah. So so probably we're going to go with that. Uh, we went a little bit over time this, this time, but not a catastrophe, I would say. Not, not a catastrophe. Yeah, we, we can still work with this. We try to keep um, it just a little bit under an hour or so. Yeah, yeah, in, in, in general. Uh, the, you know, I'm kind of proud. We, we did go through quite a lot of stuff in the hour. So so I think we, we, did, <laughs> we did good. Um, but yeah, I think we need to, to, to end the session this time um, again. Um, thanks to anybody who's been viewing or listening. Um, We've added a couple of targets for the stream. So besides YouTube, it's now also available on Twitch and on X, previously known as Twitter. Um, the recording should be available on those platforms as well. And then we are going to, again, do an edited recording for YouTube. And you can get an audio-only version on pretty much the major podcasting platforms. Uh, in case we're missing a platform, let us know. We'll try to add it. And also in case you have any uh, ideas for, for topics that you would like us to cover, let us know and uh, we'll take them under advisement. No promises. Uh, that's it on the, the second to last day of the year 2023. Um, bye from the sunny south of Portugal. Lots of snow in, in even in Helsinki, Finland. Yeah. And it's going yeah. to get cold. It's Now it's not that cold, but it will get really cold. Remember, Mick, you're always uh, welcome. You know, if, if it becomes too cold, just head up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I will be, or we will be uh, doing some... some uh, Sessions from from Portugal. All right, I'm I'm fairly yeah. sure. Cool. So thanks everybody right. for, for listening and viewing. See you next week and Saturday at week. noon GMT. Till then. Bye bye.